You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. James chapter 1. Now, as you're finding your place, uh, we want to recognize and and honor our, our mothers here this morning and even if your mom's not here, we want to honor her. Uh, I was watching the video, and uh, something in that video reminded me of my mom uh, when I was growing up. She always carried this very large bag. Uh, I think it was also meant to be used as a weapon. If you got hit with that thing, you're not getting up. Uh, just by the sheer mass of what was in it. If, if I was hungry... Mom reaching that big old bag, and out would come a pretty good snack. Not quite a Subway sandwich. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, if, um, if I was in church and was, uh, you know, starting to get a little bit, well, unfocused on what was happening, um, there, there was some stuff in that bag that could be used as a paddle. Uh, she had this big old wallet in there. And uh, I'm telling you, that thing was also a weapon. Also in that bag, if I was to fall down and get hurt, like, you know, break a leg or sever an artery. She had a first aid kit in there to, to bandage me up. And um, also there was probably enough change in the bottom of that thing to uh, probably support a small nation for a period of time. But uh, mom, whatever she reached in that bag, she almost always had it. And um, when we think about moms, we think about sacrifice. Uh, we think about unconditional love. Uh, we think about uh, service at a very high level. And we want to say thank you to all of the moms that are here this morning. So if you would, I know you don't want to. That's just how you're wired. You don't want to be recognized, but, well, I don't care. We're going to recognize you anyway. So if you're a mom this morning, would you please stand so we can give you a round of applause? Go ahead, stand up. There we go. All right, awesome. Man, look at all the moms here this morning. It is, it is great to have you here. As, as you guys leave today, if you go out these doors, look to your right. If you go out these doors, look to your left. There's a, a basket there with uh, some devotionals in it um, that we would like to give to you. Um, and look, I, I know uh, we could give you a whole volume of books, and um, it wouldn't be enough to say thank you for all that you do week in and week out. Over this last two and a half years of, of covid you, moms, you have especially had it difficult. I mean, we think about the church, we think about our jobs, we think about the schools, we think about all these different people serving in a lot of different ways in our community, but I don't know that we really recognized moms during the COVID for what you guys did. You were having to deal with sanitizer and masks with small kids and all that was going on in our community. You were having to, you were having to, uh, to, to build meal plans every week and go to the grocery store and find out that what you need's not there, and you're still dealing with that, um, you guys have really, really pulled us through this whole two and a half years, and it really rests on your shoulders and what you did. So again, we'll say thank you, and we want you to know that we love you. James chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 19. James writing says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, we pause this morning and we say thank you for the moms in our life, the moms in this church, the moms in our community, who, Father, uh, give us one of the best examples of sacrificial love to be found anywhere. And, Father, we thank you for their love. We thank you for all that they've given. And, Father, it's not as though they arrive someday and, and they're able to not give any longer. Lord, the moms we have in our life that we've been blessed with are the ones who give and give and give and give. Even when they have nothing left to give, they still give. So, Father, we are blessed this morning to have here in this worship service some true heroes. And, Father, I pray that they know that they are loved. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Father, writes to us in a very clear and concise way. So, Father, help me to not make unclear what he's made very clear. Help me, Father, this morning in, in my own way of communicating this to not cloud anything that you are clearly saying in your word. And, Father, I pray that we would be changed by it. We love you. We thank you for the grace you've poured out on us over and over and over again. It truly is amazing. So, Father, we seek your face this morning, and, Father, we want to honor you above all. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've ever gotten an email from me, uh, especially talking about a ministry, if you've got many emails at all, you probably get tired of me sending you bullet point list, right? If you talk to our elders and deacons, they'll tell you, if, if they get an email from me, it's going to be bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Uh, try, to, try to be clear and, and try to be right up to the point of what I'm trying to communicate. Have you ever wondered why God didn't communicate his word to us exactly like that? I mean, you think about it. If God had have said to us, okay, Here's the things I need you to know. Here's number one and number two and number three and number four and number five. I think we could probably, I don't know, I think we could probably take all 66 of these books and kind of condense them down into, maybe, I don't know, maybe six, eight, 10, 15 pages of just bullet points, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Why, why didn't God do that? Instead, what we have from Genesis to Revelation is a, a collection of, of incredible literary expertise and beauty that unlike anything the world has ever seen. In this book, we have stories, stories like Joseph in the book of Genesis, which is the longest single story in that book. And you've got chapters and chapters of Joseph's life. You've got him being sold out by his brothers, ended up in slavery, eventually end up in Potiphar's house, and then he's, 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 he's accused of something he didn't do, and then he's thrown in prison. We, we have all of this narrative and story that gives us all of these incredible details. But then you get to, to where Joseph is like the second in command over Egypt, and we have one single verse 
that gives us the meaning of that entire story. You know what it is? Joseph looks at his brothers and he says this. He says, what you meant for evil, God turned around for good. That is the meaning of Joseph's entire narrative. So, so why didn't God just say, hey, church, here's something you need to know that oftentimes evil's going to come at you, but I can tell you that evil and turn around for, for something good. Why, why didn't God just give us a little single bullet point there? Why, why did we have to read all those chapters? Well, what about Jesus with his disciples? Why didn't Jesus just take the disciples, the 12, into a classroom this morning I said a blackboard. Of course he didn't have a blackboard. Maybe, maybe he wrote in the dirt. We know how Jesus taught, right? He taught in parables, word pictures. And he would talk about spreading seed, and he would talk about you know, uh, uh, agrarian culture, and, and he would take that and translate that into great truths. But why didn't Jesus just sit down and over maybe a, a three-week intensive, just download all the information into the lives of the disciples and then say, okay, you've got all that you need to know. Now, now go start the church. That's not what he did. Jesus intentionally lived with these 12 men for three and a half years. He, he cries with them. He laughs with them. They have meals together. There are times where Jesus teaches and says, oh, hey, there's, there's a story I need to tell you about. And he teaches it in a story. And then, and then the very next chapter, Jesus says, okay, now I want you to go to that community right over there, and I want you to go door to door. And if anybody welcomes you in, then by all means go in. If they don't, just keep going. So if, if discipleship, if growing up in Christ is the transfer of knowledge from one person to the next, then all we really need to do is get all you folks together in a classroom and just, just give you a whole bunch of doctrine, and now you're grown up in Christ. Now you are like Jesus. You know where I'm heading here, right? And what I'm about to tell you is probably going to shock some of you, especially if you've been around a Baptist church for a large part of your life. And what I'm about to tell you may shock you, and that is this, that simply the acquisition of knowledge does not make you mature in Christ or a disciple. Wait a minute. Been going to Sunday school for 30 years. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a church where they had the, the awards for all the years of Sunday school, right? The church I grew up in had that and had the little, little gold um, things you would put on the little, uh, almost like a badge. It was each year that a person went all year in Sunday school, they got another little thing. They hang there. And that's a great and wonderful thing. And, and I love Sunday school. I love small group. And we have phenomenal Bible teachers in this church. But we've got to all Understand, and what James is getting ready to teach us is that just getting more Bible knowledge, more facts, doesn't make you mature in Christ. Well, then what does? James is going to tell us. The book of James is a very practical book. I told you that last week. And it's a, it's a practical faith that James is talking about here. So, so James doesn't spend a lot of time leading up to some of these statements that he makes. He simply just puts it out there. And what James says is that faith in Jesus should be a practical faith. It should be a faith that is manifested in the world. It should be a faith that is evident. It should be a faith that is active. And any faith that is not practical or active or lived out is not New Testament faith in Jesus. So James is going to tell us about some practical, active faith. Imagine a doctor, a medical doctor who spends years uh, preparing 
to be a surgeon or an emergency room doctor, and they, they spend all the time in college, and then they spend all the time in, 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 in master's and doctorate-level work, and then they do their internships, and then they do their residency. Wouldn't it be an odd thing that if you're in a restaurant and, and there's a doctor there and, and someone falls with a heart attack, that they just simply say, well, that's somebody else's problem. It's not mine. Wouldn't that be odd? You, you might even question, is he really a doctor? If he's not willing to help someone in need at that very moment. What about a police officer who goes through the training, comes out, graduates, gets the badge, gets the uniform, gets the hat, gets the taser, has the gun on the side, the handcuffs on his back hip, gets the car with the blue lights on it. But then when a 911 call comes in and your house is being robbed, he simply continues to sit in the car a few blocks down the street and ignores it altogether. You, you might question, is he really a police officer or does he just have the badge or does he, he just have all of the titles but does it really do anything with it? An act of faith is a faith that works. I don't mean works as far as practicality. I'm talking about works itself out in real time. In love, sacrifice, forgiveness, James is going to get deeper and deeper into this, so, so just go ahead and strap in, because in a week's head, this is exactly where we're going. But today, he's going to tell us about a faith that is backed up by doing. Look at verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Now, he's talking to born-again believers here. So, beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's pretty practical, isn't it? And I can tell you, after what I've seen this past week, and in studying this, and what I've seen play out in our culture this week, this verse is front and center in our Christian faith and should be heavily considered. He says right here, he says, be very fast, hurry up to hear, but follow that up with being slow to speak, and then follow that up with slow to become angry. Just this week, as all of this came out about Roe v. Wade and all this happening there, I have a friend online. I'm not on social media a whole lot, but I was on just enough to see the whole world blow up over this. And I've got a friend who doesn't live in this area, and he's, um, he's taken a lot of classes in apologetics, and that's what I know him for. He's, apologetics means a defense of the faith, right? And so he, he posted something on Facebook, and it was straightforward, clear, um, not really all that controversial if you take the position of the sanctity of human life, which I do and this church does. Come back to that in just a moment. His statement was a very clear, precise statement about the beauty and sanctity of human life. Well, you, you know how this works, right? It's down in the comments below where things blow up. So what did I do? He's got like a bazillion comments on this thing. So I, I click on it. Ooh, man. Uh, it, was, it was hot. So when you, when you start seeing replies, they're about that long on your, on your screen. You, you know it's, it's getting pretty lively. Well, I can watch in his responses, and I can see in his writing, the anger begin to rise up because somebody questioned his position. Wasn't a very good question, but it was a question on the least. And so what happens in this interaction between him and this one other person is the posts get longer and longer, and guess what happens? The anger gets worse and worse, and by the time you get about three or four posts down, 
I'm seeing a brother that I love. I'm seeing a brother who's very intelligent. I'm seeing a brother who's simply acting in sheer anger and disgust, not with what James is talking about here. And by the time you get about eight posts down, it's it's out of control. And, and I would imagine, because I know this brother well, I would imagine this brother thinks that he is making an impact here, that he, he's, he's turning the ship, he's convincing someone of his position. But what does James say right here? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We would all do well to pause and just let that sink in for just a moment. I know you're passionate. I, I know there's things that you... It really gets you riled up. There's things you get a little burn your side, and next thing you know, you're ready to charge the gates and tell some people how it's going to be. And now as your goal, maybe it starts out this way, that you want them to see Christ. You want them to see the truth. You want them to see, you want them to see the, the validity of your reasoning and your argument. What really happens is it ends up getting further and further apart rather than coming together. Because what did Jesus tell us that we'd be known for? Did Jesus say we would be known for our ability to to argue? Did Jesus say that we would be known for our vast knowledge of how the world works in philosophy? Did Jesus say we would be known for how we tell other people how the world works? He said we'd be known for what? Our love. Now, folks, there's a lot of believers right now online who think that what they're doing is bringing the world together, and in fact, because of their anger and their hatred, it's actually pushing people further away from the gospel. James says, be quick to hear. Run, hurry to hear, be slow to speak. He's not just talking about social media and what's happening in the world. Let me, let me tell you the context here. He's not just talking about our interaction with other people. He's talking about our interaction with God's word as well. Because the context of where he's going with this is the word of God. So wait a minute. James is saying, be quick to hear God's word and slow to speak. How do we, how do we speak to God's word? Well, here's how it works. You get into God's word, you begin to read. Let's say you're reading a book like James. And all of a sudden you read this verse and it, it deals straight with something in your life that God is not pleased with. Now in that moment, we should be what? Quick to hear what God says and slow to speak. What does speaking sound like? Well, the same thing that happened in the garden so many years ago. Did God really say? Did did God say that this thing in my life is all that bad? Well, it can't be all that bad because there's a whole lot of Christian people who are doing it. And if they're doing it, they seem to be living okay, then I'm sure that this is not a big deal. So what we do is we take the plain speaking of God's word, and guess what we do? We don't hear it, we speak over it, our version of the truth. So James, in the context of what he's saying here, not only be slow to speak to those in the world around you, but also be slow to discount God's word when it speaks to something in your life. He says, this will not produce the righteousness of God. Do you know that there's been times that I've been angry with God's word? <laughs> Just didn't like it. If you spend enough time in it, you should come to a place that you like. I don't really like that. I've told you before, there's been countless times down through the years that, that I've met with people whose, whose lives have gotten off track. They, they have a profession of faith in Jesus, that there was some fruit of change in their life because of lust or greed or whatever, they, they get off track and 
because God has called me to shepherd a flock, and I've got one of the flock that's kind of wandering off here, I, 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 want, I want to have a conversation because I love that person. I don't want to see them go down a path of destruction. So we sit down and we have a conversation, and the person says, yeah, this, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating on my husband. I'm cheating on my wife. Yeah. Well, well you, you do know that, that that's going to bring some incredible pain in your life. It's going to bring some destruction into your life. And let me share some Bible verses with you about, about what God has to say about this and see, see if we can't come to a place of repentance. And I've had people look me dead in the eye and say, you know what? No need to read it. I really don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it may be wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Had one person tell me one time, well, pastor, this can't be wrong. This, this person that God has brought into my life is so godly. This, this person that is not my husband, he, 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 we do devotionals together. And he loves Jesus. How, how could this be wrong? Well, it's wrong because you said to another man, till death do us part. That's why it's wrong. And the Bible calls this adultery. And it will destroy your life. Be, be, be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Look at verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive the meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word. So what does authentic faith look like? Well, it begins with humbly, humbly receiving God's word, not speaking over it, not making it say something you wanted to say, uh, not, not reading into the text what you wanted to say, but simply taking God's word at his word and accepting it without anger. And then that leads to putting away brokenness, filthiness, rampant wickedness. How do we live out of faith? How do, we, how do we live out of practical faith? Right here's the key word. You see that word meekness, humility. He says receive with humility. The only way that I can receive God's word and let it change my life is through humility. And here's what humility sounds like. I don't know everything. As a matter of fact, the things that I think I know are actually things that are wrong. I have, I have a twisted way of looking at the world. I have a twisted way of thinking about the world. And I need something that confronts that head on. So do you. It's not for me to change it. It's not for me to speak over it. It's not for me to get angry with it. It's, it's there. God's word is there to change me from the inside out. But I must receive it with meekness. When you came to faith in Christ, or maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe, maybe you're still holding back. One of the reasons you're still holding back you know that if you died today, you would split hell wide open. You know that. What is keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus? I'll tell you what it is. A lack of humility is pride. Well, I want my life. I want my things the way I want them. I want to live the way I want to live. You know what that is? It's pride. The opposite of humility. Every person in this room and every person watching online that came into the kingdom of God, who was changed by the gospel, came through humility. You admitted you didn't have it all together. You admitted that you were broken. You admitted that you couldn't fix yourself. You, you stopped trying to pull yourself up. You stopped trying to do works of righteousness because you realized they are filthy rags. The same is true for, for anyone who's put their faith in Jesus, been changed by the gospel, but is living for some other king and some other purpose. He says to you, you've got to approach Christ with meekness. You've got to approach his word because it's able to save your souls. For the one who is lost is able to take you from darkness to light. For the one who has walked away from Christ, 
It's been changed by the gospel, but walked away. It has the ability to restore that which has been lost. I want to tell you that as we move further into the future, I'm not a prophet, don't claim to be, would never claim to be that, but I can see where things are trending and I can, I can kind of see how this is going. It is going to get more and more and more difficult for you as a follower of Jesus to maintain decorum and how you respond to people. Because there are going to be more and more people when they find out that you're a believer or they already know you're a believer, they hear that you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get tested. You remember last week we talked about trials and temptations? There are going to be people who poke at you. There are going to be people who say, oh, I know, I know about you. You're a bigot. Oh, I know about you. You, you hate women. And they're going to say that for the sole purpose to do what? To get you to respond in anger so that they can go to all their friends and go, see? See? They're not about love. They're not about kindness. Now, this is not that we check our doctrine at the door. This is not about that we just roll over and let people walk over us. What this is about is sharing the truth in love, heavy on the love, okay? We must remain steadfast in what we believe, but the way that translates in the way we interact with people cannot be hatred Far too many groups of people think of the church as just a simply a group of people who hate. Who do we hate? Well, the culture would say we hate homosexuals. We, we hate people who take a different position on the sanctity of human life. That, that we hate people who are, who are dealing with gender identity. We hate those people. In other words, if you talk to the world at large, they can give you a bullet point list of every people they think the church believes. Now, how did they arrive at that? Now, some of it is pure conjecture. Some of it is what they hear in the news. But some of it, some of it, is an interaction, a direct interaction they had with a person who said they followed Jesus. Folks, we do not compromise our beliefs. We do not weaken our doctrine. We stand firm upon God's word. God's word says that life begins at conception. Here I will stand and will move no further, period. But the way I translate that to the community at large, that right now our community is on fire. Our culture is on fire right now. And the last thing we need to do is walk into that fire and pour more gas on it. Know what you believe, know why you believe it, and live that belief out. Maybe, maybe the way you live out your belief in this setting is to offer your time in a pregnancy care center, like many of you did last night. We had a banquet here last night to support a pregnancy care center that's on the front lines, on the front lines, both here and in Fayetteville, standing there and, and, and ministering to women who are considering abortion. And Ms. Helen Rogers, her ministry is love. If you've ever been around her long, you know her ministry is about love. And last night, that banquet raised, and I'm going to get my phone out. I don't normally take my phone out, but I get this number right because it was texted to me because I said, don't tell me because I'll forget it. Last night, $10,350 was raised for the Friends of Care Center. That is outstanding. Gene Freeman, Tiffany Freeman, Tiffany, i to call you Freeman. Is that okay? I'll call you Freeman. Tiffany Hallman. I know there's many others in this building, Carol Allen and many others who served out there. Thank you for what you do because you're standing with her, but you're loving well. 
See, that's, that's the difference. That's what makes the difference is you're loving well. So not only are we to humbly receive God's word, notice what James says next. We are to persevere in living out God's word. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers. Did you catch that? Talk about some practicality. James says, don't just accumulate facts, live out that truth. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. In this last phrase in verse 22, deceiving yourselves. What does he mean there? I think James has given us a warning here. That it is possible that we get to a place where we just acquire more and more and more information about Jesus. We can, we can, we can quote all the books of the Bible. We can quote a whole bunch of verses uh, we, we've learned some doctrine. We've learned some things about the Trinity. We, we've learned all these things, and we can argue and debate people with these things. But what does that look like on Monday morning at your job at the school as a teacher when the parent is cussing you out? Does it look like Jesus at that moment? Or does it look more like the world? I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is what James is talking about. James is saying that our knowledge should translate into action that the world can see and know that there's a difference. Look at verse 23. So if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So James doesn't do this a lot. Well, he gives some other imagery, but, but he's going to help us with this. So he gives us an illustration, and here's the illustration. He says, imagine a man or a woman who looks in a mirror. He looks in the mirror and, and, and sees all the characteristics of his or her face, and then they leave and go out and get started with their day. Well, as they're going through their day, they forget what they look like. Now, I know there was no pictures in James's day, but just for the sake of illustration, to help us get our arms around this, let's imagine that person who looked intently at himself in the mirror that morning, saw all the characteristics of of his face goes out and, and sees a lineup of pictures somewhere and his picture's in that lineup. He would look across those pictures and go, I don't know any of these people. Now that's a ludicrous story, is it not? I mean, who would ever, again, if they're in their right mind, who would ever look at themselves in the mirror and then that very same day forget what they look like? Well, nobody would do that, right? So, so what's James trying to say? J James is saying... What is the purpose of a mirror? A mirror, when, we looked, when you looked at the mirror this morning, just like when I looked at the mirror this morning, I'm making sure I don't have bed head, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm doing that ratio between gray hair and, and what used to be brown hair. Um, it's obvious right there in the mirror. Make sure I don't have any of that crusty toothpaste stuff on the corners of my mouth. I know this is weird, but stick with me here. I'm going somewhere here. Stick with me. You know, I wipe my face off. Um, you know, begin to see more wrinkles. And that's y'all's fault, by the way. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> what does a mirror do? Well, it reveals reality in that moment, does it not? Reality is staring you back in the face. But the thing about a mirror is, is a mirror, while it can show you reality, it can do nothing to change your bed head or the wrinkles on your face or the gray in your hair. The mirror can't give you an injection of Botox to take care of the wrinkles. The mirror can't color your hair. I know nobody does that in this room, but just in case you did, there's no way a mirror can provide coloring for your hair to cover up the gray. So what is James saying? James is saying 
That the mirror can only reveal what reality is. It can't change the reality. There must be some action. I must wipe my face. I must comb my hair. I must get the Botox. I must color my hair. If I want to change my reality, what is revealed in the mirror, there must be an action step after that truth has been revealed. Listen to what James says next. Verse 24, for he looks at himself in a mirror and he goes away and he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Look at that phrase right there. If you, if you underline in your Bible, this will be a great phrase to underline. He says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Here's what James is doing with this illustration. James says, just as ludicrous as it is for you to look in the mirror and not take some kind of action step to comb your hair, he said, it's equally as ludicrous to be exposed to the mirror of God's truth and do nothing about it. He says that looking into God's word is like looking into a mirror. It's a mirror that penetrates to the very core of who you are. It's a mirror that points out some things in my life that need correcting. Because I'm on the same journey you are, and that's growing up in Jesus. And so when I look in the mirror of his word, I see imperfections, a lot of them. I see places where I'm falling short. But God's word only takes effect when we do what? Act on it. James says that there is a deception that is included in this, that if we get to a place where we equate discipleship and maturing to Christ, maturing in Christ by the gathering of knowledge, then we deceive ourselves. We think that we're actually getting stronger in Christ when we're actually getting weaker if all we ever do is acquire more knowledge. He says, but when we look into the perfect law, God's word that acts like a mirror, it points out, well, it points out problems. It points out anger issues. It points out unforgiveness. It points out racism. It points out lust and greed. It points out some problems in our heart. But those problems only get corrected when we act on what God's Word says. We should forgive. We should recognize by God's Word that we're not better than anyone else. We recognize in God's Word that following a pathway of lust leads to destruction. The, the Bible lays it out for us. It, lay, it lays out the choices that we make, and it actually lays out what happens as a result. It's all right here. It's not hidden. James says that to hear the word and not act on it is just as ludicrous as the man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. James says we are to persevere. Notice that word there. He says persevere. You know why we need to persevere? The same reason James had to persevere. The same reason that the people he's writing to needed to persevere because you're going to get challenged in what you believe. And how we respond, we speak the truth in love. You're going to get challenged, so we've got to persevere. There's going to be temptation to give up. There's going to be temptation to say, look, it's a whole lot easier to simply hear a sermon, to hear a lesson, than to do anything with it. Can we all agree to that? Isn't it a whole lot easier just to come here, hear some songs, hear me rant and rave for 30, 40, sometimes 45 minutes, hear me rant and rave, and then just walk out of here unchanged? Isn't that a whole lot easier? Sure it is. But James says, listen to this, 
look into the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Did you get that? Maybe the reason you're not experiencing blessings, we could say happiness, we could say joy, we could say peace. Maybe the reason we're not finding joy in our walk with Jesus is because the hearing has never translated to doing. So what we do, we just hear more and more and more good sermons, or bad sermons in my case, hear more and more information. And we use that as an excuse to say we're growing in Christ when in fact we're not. That's the deception. So James is going to give us a little test here to, to kind of clear it up, the difference between doing and hearing. Verse 26. So here, here's the test. If anyone thinks he is religious, now that word religious, that word can be used in a, in, a, in a negative connotation, such as the Pharisees and their religion, or it can be used in a, in a positive. James is using it in a positive sense. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, religious meaning you are practicing your faith, you, are, you have a set of doctrine, a set of beliefs, and those beliefs translate in how you live. That's what it means in that Context to be religious. He said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So test number one, there's a reason why you have two ears and one mouth. And there's a reason why your tongue is imprisoned behind a, 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 a mouth full of teeth and jaws, but yet you have two ears to intake and only one to put something out. There's, there's wisdom there. What is that wisdom? You need to be listening as double as much as you're talking, especially to this culture in which we live in. James says, the one who has religion, the one who has faith in Jesus, should at some point in their walk with Jesus make the choice that what I'm thinking does not need to be said. You ever been around anybody who says exactly what they think? Doesn't always work out to their favor, does it? You've ever met anybody who actually doesn't think at all before they speak? I've been both, I've been both of those people. James says that if you have a religion and that religion doesn't even speak to the way you're speaking, if that religion doesn't bridle your tongue, if that belief in Jesus doesn't say to you, there are things that do not need to be said. There are things that you shouldn't utter. There are things rattling around in your head that should never make the light of day. If your religion doesn't prevent that from happening, then your religion is worthless. And anybody who follows Jesus, reads what Jesus says, reads the New Testament, will find over and over again that we are to control our tongues. So if your following of Jesus doesn't translate in a bridle on your tongue, then your religion is useless. So there's your first test. How is it with your tongue? Not everything you think needs to be posted on Facebook. Not everything that pops into your head needs to be texted. Matter of fact, I would encourage you that if, you, if you're sending emails a lot, that you read those emails three or four or five times. That's what it means to, <laughs> to be slow to speak and quick to hear. Maybe you need to read that email about five times before you send it. And I am guilty as charged there. First test, does your faith result in a bridle for your tongue. Second one, look at this, verse 27. He said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. So this religion, a pure religion, a religion that's effective, a religion that means something before God, 
to the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You remember I told you I like bullet points? Well, right there's a bullet point. It's actually a, a, a colon right there. It's Father, so what is pure and undefiled religion before God? The Father, it is this. Pause. So, so guess what? Guess what James is going to do? Here's your bullet point. To visit orphans and widows. In other words, to serve broken people. To love broken people. In James's context, the widows and orphans were being left out. They were being taken advantage of. In the law that God gave to the nation of Israel, he included in that law several dictates of the law that says you will take care of widows and you will take care of orphans. Why is that? Because all the pagan nations around Israel were taking advantage of orphans, taking advantage of widows, taking their land, starving them to death. And God says to the nation of Israel, you will be different than them by the way you love people who cannot give you anything in return. For us, what does pure and undefiled religion look like in our context? Well, maybe it looks like some families in this church who, having realized that in our foster care system right now in Robinson County, we have over 500 children. We only have 40 to 50 foster homes. You can do the math there pretty quick, right? 500 kids, 40 to 50 foster homes. Maybe, maybe there's families in this church being called to foster. I mean, think about, think about the practicality of that. Think about pure faith in Jesus being lived out is the family who says, you know what, I've got space in my home for a kid that doesn't have a home. And, and maybe, maybe God is calling somebody here to even adopt but listen, folks, there, there's no interpretation that I need to give you here. It's, it's as clear as it can be on white and black pages. James says that true faith in Jesus results in doing something, and here it means orphans, widows. We have a lot of senior adults who've closed themselves off to the world because of COVID, because they've had to, because of their health problems. Is anybody checking on them? Maybe you have a neighbor that has to take a lot of medicine and doesn't have any family and Maybe you've learned that, that that person across the street doesn't know how to divide their medications out. Maybe you could just go over there once a week, twice a week, three times a week, help them divide their medications out. Maybe they need you to run to the grocery store for them. Is it that practical? Yes, it is. That kind of practical faith lived out by any church in any community is going to have a transformational effect in that community. Third test, keep oneself unstained from the world. You know what Jesus really had some harsh words. The harshest words that Jesus ever had to say to a group of people were the religious people, the Pharisees. Man, he was rough on them. If you just read what Jesus says to the Pharisees, it's like, man, that's harsh. He calls them a bunch of hypocrites over and over again in different ways. He says, you know, they're a bunch of whitewashed tombs, a nice-looking grave. They look really got like they got it all together on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones. He says that their mouths spew venom. Jesus says here that any faith that's any worth anything at all should be a faith that keeps you from engaging in things in the world that brings destruction into your life. It's all kinds of things the world's telling you you need right now, and I can tell you right now, 99% of what they're telling you, you don't need. You just don't. He says, remain unstained from the world. I want you to, I want you to hear what Jesus had to say about this. Turn over to Matthew 7. I told you the book of James has a lot of connection to the Sermon on the Mount. Matter of fact, you could read these two together. You could read the Sermon on the Mount, the book of James. You'll find a lot of connecting points 
James undoubtedly was influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, in that sermon, Jesus says there's going to be some people that stand before Jesus one day and they're going to say, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Now, you, you may be thinking, well, didn't that undermine what you're saying? They did do some things. Yeah, they did, but they did it with the wrong motivation and the wrong end goal. So, in fact, they didn't do anything that came out of their truth and out of their faith. What it came out of was self-serving. He says they're going to stand before Jesus one day and say, we did all these things. Jesus will say to them, I never knew, who, I never knew you. Depart from me. But it's in verse 24, I want you to see this. Verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, notice that, hears and does, they will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew. We know about that, don't we? And beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because he has both knowledge and application of the knowledge. A strong house, a blessed house, a blessed family, a family that has pure religion, a family that's making a difference is a family that hears and does. He says, but wait a minute, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, so you've got the knowledge, you just did nothing with it. Guess what that person does? It's like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. You're building your house on something. If your house is being built on simply knowledge, facts, arguments, without living that out in love and faith, you have a house built on sand, not on stone. There's this old story of a weary traveler who was traveling in a place and he ran out of water. He had no water. And he comes up to this little old abandoned town and in the middle of that abandoned town is one of those old pumps. And he's thinking, man, that thing's so rusty and so old, there's no way there's any water in that well. But he keeps trying to pump because he is dying of thirst. He pumps and he pumps and nothing comes out. And then he notices over to the side, there's a big glass jug of water with a cork in it. And there's a note on that jug that says, if you want water out of the well, you've got to prime the pump. Well, now we've got a hard choice, do we not? We could drink the water out of the jug and be refreshed. Or we can pour it into this pump, which might not work, and hope that we're going to get water out of it. But if we don't, we're probably going to die of thirst. So the man wrestles with that a little bit, and he takes the jug, he pulls the cork, he pours it down the, the pump, and he begins to pump with all of his might, and eventually water begins to flow. And here's the point of the story. Only that which you give away, only that which you live out, only that knowledge that you've gained in following Jesus, only that which is lived out, tangible, in real time, is what makes a difference and grows you up and brings blessing upon your house, upon your family. Knowledge itself, without action, ends up deceiving you in the end and ends up bringing you pain in the end. And ends up bringing you to a place where there's no joy, no peace, no happiness, no joy in your Christian faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you have just, are you just giddy over Jesus? Are you just happy to get to follow Jesus? Do you get up and go, man, I get another day to be part of the kingdom work? Or is that all kind of drained out? And what's been replaced is a whole bunch of knowledge that never turns into action. Could there be a problem there? Absolutely. What should we do about it? Glad you asked. Father in heaven, 
the faith that we have is not to be a faith that is kept in secret and hiding. It is a faith to be lived out before a broken world that quite frankly, Lord, is on fire right now. Father, help us not to add to the flames, but to simply stand upon your truth and to not move off of it, but to do it and share it in love. Father, we ask that we would be just like Jesus. When we see him go to the cross, what do we see? We see truth lived out by doing. We, we see love for enemy. We see love for the people who were nailing him to that cross. Lord, we want to be just like him. And especially now, with everything that is happening and everything that's going to be happening over the next many months and years, you said it would be like this. Father, help us to not have itching ears that all we want to have is just one more new fact that never translates into action. Father, we have heard the gospel, for many in this room, heard the gospel thousands of times. We know the gospel. We know the power of it. Yet, Father, we've never told another person about this truth and life that we found. Father, we hear your word that says we are to forgive those who wrong us, but yet we're harboring unforgiveness, thinking that we're hurting that other person when the only person we're hurting is us. Father, we have deep anger, deep, deep anger that's turning into bitterness down in our heart. And we know what your word says, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their socioeconomic status. But yet, Father, there's that unchecked anger down deep inside that just keeps growing and growing and growing. Father, we hear, but we're not doing. And between those two is a lack of humility. Father, in this time of commitment, we pray, Father, that the lost would be found, the broken would be healed, and in all things you would be exalted. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.